Hello, hello. It's Jane here for another episode of Ferocious Compassion. My guest today is Lisa Roccatisano. Lisa was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia and studied fashion design before traveling to Italy when she was 22. She went to learn Italian and explore her Italian heritage. She fell in love with the city of Florence where she proceeded to live for the next two years, learning how to paint watercolors and sell alongside the local street artists in the courtyard of the Uffizi Gallery. She returned to Italy in 2006 and worked for a fashion distributor for the next 12 years, responsible for research, acquisition, and marketing of new fashion brands in Italy. In 2016, she founded This Tuscan Life, a lifestyle magazine that celebrates the historic borgos, vineyards, talented artisans, festivals, and traditional recipes of Tuscany. Lisa lives in Florence with her husband Emiliano and two sons, Matteo and Thomas. Lisa is a dear friend of mine and she's got a beautiful philosophy on life, one of the most compassionate persons I've ever met. She also is someone that I will be working with in the future when we get back to Italy to do some very special custom touring in Florence and beyond. Lisa and I had the pleasure of meeting in person last December before the pandemic, sitting outside on a beautiful little ancient side street at a cafe, sipping a vino during the holiday season. It was absolutely beautiful, unforgettable evening. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Lisa. I am so excited that you are joining me on Ferocious Compassion. Hi, Jane. Lovely to speak to you. I'm really excited to talk to you too. Wow. It just seems like how long have we known each other now through the channels that we met? It seems like much longer. I feel like you're an old girlfriend, like an old soul, which said, not an old girlfriend, a girlfriend I've known for a long time. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I remember so fondly the last time I saw you, which was last December in Florence, Italy, where you live. And I remember that we sat outside and we just had this most beautiful glass of wine and chat and we just watched life go by. It was holiday season. And I think back on that evening now and I just think, wow, how different the world is now. Yeah, so surreal almost. I was thinking about that too, actually, how quickly everything changed and how even, I have to say, when Florence first went into lockdown, I seriously thought it was only going to be for those six weeks, eight weeks, and then everything was going to go back and school was even going to go back and I never have imagined that it would get as bad as what it did. How do you feel like you've been coping overall? I mean... Tell our listeners a little bit about your life there in Florence. So beforehand, I was getting ready for a really busy season, tourist season. And, you know, I started doing um, private kind of shopping and food tours last year. And, you know, I also write a magazine about Tuscany and that was keeping me really busy as well. And then when everything kind of happened, everything kind of came to this grinding halt and just started to watch all the tours cancel one after the other. Um, and I have to say I've had real ups and downs. At first I went through a mixture of emotions. I think everyone went through the same kind of shock, disbelief, um, depression. It was kind of like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We had some 
good things kind of work for us. The banks here allowed you to suspend your mortgage for up to six months. So that was a huge kind of took a lot of weight off our shoulders. My husband luckily kept working. His job has um has been fine throughout. He was forced to take a few you know, extra holidays, whatever, but he's been able to work. Um, then I had the added problem of when we were in lockdown, I did something to my neck. So physically I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't go and see anyone, my doctor, whatever. So that got me down a lot. And then, I found, then once I was able to see a doctor and realised what the problem was and seeing an osteopath, felt much better. Um, and also then started to, it really forced me, and I, a lot, I know a lot of people have said this, about slowing down and all the rest of it. And it was almost like I didn't like the pressure that if you weren't making the most of your downtime, you should feel guilty about not being productive. I kind of think that was almost counterproductive, if that makes sense, people making you feel that way. But I did, um, you know, we have a small apartment. We don't have a garden. So I really had no choice but to, you know, kind of make the most of being in a small space with two young boys. I learned how to make sourdough bread. I've become quite good at it. <laughs> and... And because also when we went into lockdown, it was winter, it did kind of make it, I guess, easier in a way to stay in. Then we had this incredible kind of spring where it was just really warm, so that was hard, but we were allowed outside for short walks, so I would take the boys out, and I'm lucky I live near a park or an area that's kind of green. But it became... um, The Italians were all very just matter-of-fact, this is what we have to do, and just got on with it and I have to say I have always said and at the time even though Italy was one of the first and everyone felt that you know poor Italy they're one of the worst to suffer in Europe and the first to have been hit so badly I always was pleased I was here I didn't feel in any way you know trapped or in danger here at all. Mm. I have always felt that Italy really just brings compassion to the fore Mm. and I have noticed throughout the years of leading retreats there and then just being there myself traveling that uh, there's this way of compassion in Italy that is very unique to Italy itself and I wonder you know since the show is about compassion I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what what is that sort of fatal charm about Italy and how does that connect to compassion? Because I feel like those two are really linked. Well, when you say compassion, Italy, I think family, la familia. So it's very much about, you know, the family unit is so important here. And, you know, where a lot of people have the grandparents who step in as like their daycare, you know, it's the nonni that pick up the kids from school, it's the nonni that are there when the parents are working full-time. So I think that kind of, you know, compassion and, I don't know, amore, that whole thing about Italian, they are very passionate about things. They are very dramatic. Like even even in like a basic business email when I used to work for a, um, a company here, my boss would say to me, you're quite aggressive with your emails. And I said, it's not, I'm not aggressive. It's business. That's how we do it in English. We don't spend the first paragraph fluffing about with all these unnecessary words, but it's kind of the romance of Italy too. You know, it's this whole kind of, you know, extra words and and all the rest of it. So there was, um, I live in a street that's like a little village and I remember going down when, to the shops 
and noticing people had put out a basket and this happened around Florence and there was a sign in it that said, um, if you can, you know, if you, if you have extra, please leave it here. If you're in need, you can take. So it was like this beautiful giving basket and it was beautiful to see, like I used to get a kick out of seeing all the food in it and then maybe passing by in the afternoon and seeing that someone had taken it. So I was, thought that was really quite beautiful. Uh, another thing was people started to write big signs on their door saying, if you're elderly and you need help to do the shopping, please call me on this number, their name, the number. Um, and there was a big kind of group in our street in particular, and I know it happened for every different neighbourhood, but I'm speaking for where I live, that really got together and went around to check on all the elderly because the elderly, of course, were being told that they were the most vulnerable and they shouldn't come out at all. So I was really kind of thought that that was really quite know very special and, and quite yeah beautiful you talk about the charm of Italy and and there was never any you know obviously we've seen this happen in other countries since there was never any like you know refusal to wear a mask or kind of you know um you know how dare you tell me these are my rights and all the rest of it there was none of that here at all and even though I do remember feeling very strange I mean I still hate wearing it but the first time the first couple of times walked outside with it on and you'd look at people and you know the eyes you know this whole thing of you know can you see I'm smiling or you know trying to look at someone with compassion or walking past them and looking in their eyes because at the start it was kind of like this big unknown it was it was very very weird it's very now it's much more now it's much different even though we still have to wear a mask and um like if you go to any shops there's a lot people are very polite very courteous they wait patiently for their turn every shop has you know the um, sanitizing gel that you have to use before you go in yeah like I said I think I felt comfortable about being here because there was a calm about it all in all the tragedy of it all so it sounds like you felt almost embraced by Italy during the beginning, when the rest of the world was really looking at Italy and saying, you know, what's going on in Italy? And now, of course, everyone's been hit and the United States is not doing very well with the virus. And so I think about that, particularly as it relates to how Italians do really value that community and that, that family mm. essence that allow it's that feeling of we care for one another and our neighbors too so we would call and say I'm going to the supermarket do you need anything and when I was making my bread the first recipe that I followed made two loaves so I just stuck with that because I was working so I'd always keep a loaf and give one to my girlfriend across the road um and her kids were like Lisa's bread is the best <laughs> it was really you know um it was nice I guess you know it was kind of like going back to a time when people were more giving and courteous and love thy neighbor type of thing. It's that sense of generosity that mm. I feel like is what you're really talking about too. And that is something that I've felt every single time I've ever been in Italy. Yeah. And particularly so. taking people to the retreat location um, in Tuscany, the Agriturismo, where they wake up every day with this intention of we want to make sure that your guests are so well cared for and that everything here is just perfect for them. Mm -hmm. And the way the chef just sort of dotes over us at every meal. And you can never say that you go hungry here ever. 
There's no, exactly. No one goes hungry and you will very, it just adorably come out and check in with us at every meal and ask how it is. <laughs> really, people just love that, that feeling of attentiveness, but it's also so much about the style of Italy. Mm, it is. I've always felt from the very first time I came here, like at home, I always, I remember when I first came here and when I first came here, it was before the internet and all the rest of it, it was in 1993. And I remember not knowing as much Italian as I thought I did, but still feeling very, I remember saying, oh, I feel like I've been here before. I just felt very comfortable here and very, and even though I didn't speak Italian, they were very patient with you, you know, they kind of helped you along. And, um, yeah, like I said, I feel like I'm, I've always felt at home here. Mm-hmm. I think you are. Whenever I've seen you there in action, you have, and your Instagram account is just gorgeous with pictures and how you just go out and about and just really make people feel like they're actually there with you. And I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about what it's like to go on one of your tours. Well, um, the beauty of them is I kind of, uh, they're kind of all very individual. So I will speak to you first and find out what you really want to see and do. There are some people that just want it to be about food, which is fantastic food and drink. And, you know, Florence and Tuscany have so many beautiful food histories and stories. So there's a story to tell about everything, whether it's from, you know, the Negroni that was invented here to, um, you know, the peasant origins or a lot of the, of the basic foods here. And I always get such joy out of when people taste something very simple, like a papa pomodoro, which is basically just bread and tomato, like a beautiful stew. And you see their, their eyes, wow, the flavour, you know. So I always, oh, there's something so simple. So I get a kick out of that. Uh, then there's um, the artisan side, so looking at all the artisans, walking around and visiting all of them. And the beauty of Florence is a lot of the artisan studios are open. You can walk in and watch them working. So whether it's paper marbling, wood carving, um, frame gilding on frames, uh, you know, there's um, Genori porcelain. I mean, that shop's beautiful. And my background's fashion, so I love also when I have someone who just wants to do shopping. So I often say, then I divide it. I say, do you want to have a look at contemporary fashion or do you want to have a look at some of the icons? Because obviously Florence is home to Gucci, Cavalli, Gucci. Um, you know, there's some really beautiful fashion stories about this city as well. So the tours, they're normally like a half day. It's a standard. I have done on occasion a full day and I always say it's like just having, you know, coming out with a girlfriend and having, you know, a lovely, having someone take you by the hand and basically, you know, when you go somewhere and you, you don't know where you're going and whatever, but, and you feel like you're wasting time and you've only got limited time to see something or you might go somewhere and feel like, wow, I went to that place to eat, but I really feel that it wasn't the authentic food or I really feel it was just like, you know, a bit of a, a touristy place and I probably spent too much money I really like taking people by the hand and basically sharing with them I guess my what I love about this city and this this region Tuscany but sharing with them the stories about the the artisans the food that you know to give a bit more of a perspective of the whole place that's what my people want to know about when they come I mean I am so excited to come back and do some touring with you, with my guests. Me too. Counting the days. 
I love what you said about how, you, you know, you're giving an insider's view because of your love of the city and also your experience and knowledge of the city. And I wonder what are the main things that you think people, when they come to Florence, there's so much about Florence that's so beautiful and, and obviously ancient and historic, but what are the main things that people really navigate to Florence for? When I often ask people, so number one would be art. There's a lot of people who really want to come and obviously because it's you know, the Renaissance city and they want to see the art. Food is another, you know, and obviously Florence has, and I think, you know, each city in Italy has become a bit more probably famous for what it's known for. So all the meat eaters come here for the Bistecca, La Fiorentina. Uh, people like, you know, shows like um, Chef's Table that have featured like Dario Cicchini. He's become quite a celebrity. He's so lovely. I went to see him last week and he's just the most hospitable person. Like he's just lovely. It's like visiting an old uncle. Like, you know, and I think um, so people you know, to go and see this, this person. And the episode on him, it was done very well. It's really quite beautiful. It talks about how he basically was forced into being a butcher. He wanted to be a vet and his father died when he was quite young, so he had to take over the butcher shop. So it's really a beautiful story as well. So um, food, shopping, number three, <laughs> so I don't know if that's up there. Uh, but, of course, you know, Florence is always known for leather, I love the ceramics here, I have to say. I love ceramics in Tuscany. Like I said, I mean, you know, fashion. What I love about Florence is there's some really gorgeous boutiques and there seem to be some really great ones opening up all the time, new, where you can find Italian designers, small Italian designers that are maybe unknown in your country or whatever, you know, but beautiful stuff that, you know, when you go home, you're not going to see everyone else wearing it. It's not like a Sarah. Um, but just beautiful, unique pieces. Um, craftsmanship is incredible, you know. And I also love getting, talking about fashion and leather and things like that. How some things you can buy and you can have them personalised. So there's a place where I go and you can buy a leather bag and they will um, put your initials on it and you can have it in like a gold foil, silver foil. And so it's really beautiful, this personalised thing, and it's included in the price. So it's not like you have to pay extra for this service. Um, and to watch the guy do that in front of you, and you know, is just Incredible. So little things like that I think really make the shopping experience um, so special. Oh, and something else that Florence and Tuscany have um, become really well-known for is perfume. So there are so many perfume houses here, which I didn't realise until I, until I started to research to write about it. There were two or three I knew. But once I started to research, I realised there were a lot more. And it's really quite fascinating how this kind of perfume industry has exploded here. But you can also go and do like you can make your own perfume and that's really quite special as well so you can go and they talk about um what's the word I'm trying to think of I forget my English words yeah. the different scents the different scents and how to mix them by the end of it you can't smell anything well I couldn't <laughs> it's um it's one of those that's another really beautiful unique experience here that I hadn't you know heard of until I started to kind of research I didn't know about that that's something I think people would love. That's sort of, it's such a keepsake. Yeah. And then there's, okay, so then everyone knows, a lot of people know about, you know, Santa Maria Novella, but that's a really beautiful place to go to as well. And then when you learn the history of that place and how a lot of their perfumes and whatever were, you know, years ago, perfumes were used as, as medicinal things. You know, you think of like, you know, Spezzeria and 
um, their Logistria and these things. And it's quite fascinating. It's like soft science behind it, alchemy and all the rest of it. Those are the things I think people love about coming to Florence because it just has this mystery that just sort mm. of encapsulates it. Yeah, and like time stood still a lot. I mean, I remember when I first came here from Australia, just mouth open. And I still, you know, at the history, you know, I'm reading a book about David at the moment and you kind of think, wow, it's amazing, and you kind of transport it back. But to read a book about the city where you live and then but not much has changed. So you can really put yourself in that kind of era is quite fascinating. I can imagine that you never really wake up and think, hmm, it's kind of boring here. I wish I could live somewhere else. No, and there's always an exhibition. There's always, and um, getting back to the whole kind of um, COVID situation, it's been incredible to watch how a lot of the, um, a lot of places have adapted to having concerts outdoors restaurants that have moved their tables and chairs outside, which has been beautiful for summer. And what the council has done has given them all these beautiful kind of, um, you know, like a bay tree. So all these trees are kind of all over the streets now. We see restaurants to kind of cordon off the seated area from the road. But it's really beautiful. I think city even more. It's really quite beautiful. So I think that would be something that would be really lovely if they could keep for every summer now going forward. So... Um, you know, there's been con- there was a concert uh, festival last week in the Bobbly Gardens, which was really quite special. So it's amazing how culturally the city has tried to adapt to keep going, to keep you know also celebrating what they're what they're known for. Mm. I've had so many beautiful nights just wandering around in Bobbly Gardens. Yeah, it's quite magic, isn't it? Absolutely. And just hearing about this adaptation, I'm wondering what it's like, too, for Florentinians to have a summer without Americans. It's weird. I, uh, I know, I think, the majority of Italians. At first it was kind of like, wow, you know, a lot of Italians going to museums probably that didn't go before because they were thinking, well, I'm not going to line up or whatever. So it was kind of like, wow, there's a really appreciation of the city where, you know, that I can ride my bike from one side to the other straight through the centre of town where normally there's no way I could do that. And at the first there was a kind of a beauty in that, but there was also, it was quite sad. So Florence, Italy depends on tourism. You know, a lot of the shops here, a lot of the, you know, stores, and, and I've known people that have closed down because they haven't been able to survive. So I know that a lot of, people, we're all just kind of, you know, hoping that, you know, tourist Americans can come back soon because, you know, and I've had a lot of people write to me saying, you know, my trip was cancelled, we've had to postpone, we're so upset, you know, we would have normally been there by now. Like you, this is the first year in I don't know how many, um, I was talking about that husband and wife that have been separated, one's here, one's there in the States. And so, yeah, I think that it was kind of like, at first, wow, isn't the city beautiful or empty like this? Well, we can really appreciate, you know, really admire our city. But then it was quickly replaced with, well, we, we really need to, our economies, you know, we really need people here. Yeah, in Italy, so much about tourism and that feeling of just people gathering from all over the world. Mm. And, you know, it's funny because now there's been, like, I remember being quite surprised the first time when we first um, were able to travel. So the first time we went to the beach and I saw first cars from like the Netherlands and Germans and Austrians and I was like, 
wow, you know, you'd hear English people and it was kind of like, wow. So there was a, a different tourism that a lot of people have been talking about. A lot of Italians were encouraged to obviously stay in Italy to not venture out of the country. So there are a lot of people probably visiting towns and areas that they wouldn't have previously. So it was more of a probably European tourism, I would say, but much quieter than what we're used to. So I have noticed that you've been making some trips out into Tuscany and some some little seaside towns and then some Tuscan towns. And I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about where you've gone and what are some potential off the beaten path locations that we can dream about when we, the first chance we get to get back to Italy. Yeah, get a pen and write some notes down. So um, I'm going to put some of these in the show notes too. Oh, perfect. So one of the first places I went to um, when I was able to drive around, I went to south of Tuscany, an area known as Maremma, uh, to a beautiful town called Castiglione della Pescaia. And a lot of these towns are gorgeous because they're, uh, they're on the coast. So you have these beautiful, you know, pine forests, national parks, very uh, kind of more natural spaces, not so, you know, like the beaches are public, not so, you know, curated and private beach club and all the rest of it. But there's such a beautiful natural, um, natural beauty. And I remember when I first went to the, being so surprised when I saw all these eucalyptus trees because I always thought eucalyptus trees were only in Australia. <laughs> so, so it does remind me probably a bit of the, my beaches, the beaches that I grew up with in Australia. Uh, and what's beautiful about that whole stretch of the coast is it is a really beautiful, authentic side of Tuscany. So Maremma years ago was swamp land. It was like full of malaria and they drained it and reclaimed it. So there's pecorino cheese, pecorina di grotta, which the pecorina that's um, aged in the caves comes from down there. And so where you drive around Tuscany, you know, Chianti, Tuscany, and not see any sheep at all, when you head down south to Maremma, you'll see a lot more sheep and because of the pecorino cheese. So even though Pienza is another town that's famous for the pecorino, um, Maremma is also really famous for it as well. And then also I guess the charm of Maremma is that it is this kind of, you know, national parks or whatever, but you by the beach and you, the coast is beautiful. Water's turquoise. It's beautiful, beautiful beaches. So I went there. And you can do some really great camping glamping so there's these beautiful kind of like little wooden <laughs> cabins that are like like you can hear the waves crashing at night it's so beautiful but you've got aircon you've got wi-fi you've got electricity so it's um they've done a really good job of, of building these places and then there's a like a incredible luxury place down there as well if you want to go like five-star luxury then i went so my husband's from a town called chechina which is uh probably between kind of here and Marema, where I was just talking about and so we often go there every summer and we stay at a campground there which is where he grew up with his grandparents and we stay in the same little bungalow that his grandparents built about 30 years ago and so my boys love it because for them especially Matteo my eldest who's a bit of a sensitive soul he loves the fact that you know his great-grandfather built this place so but what's beautiful about it is once again there's the campground, Pine Forest Beach. There's a pool there. The boys ride their bikes. It's, you know, they have entertainers for the kids. It's really a family type of um, environment. Then my sister, who lives in Rome, came to visit. 
and her and I went, just the two of us, to visit. Um, we went and did bottled tomatoes with a gorgeous friend of mine, Sarah, at her Agriturismo in San Gimignano. So that was really a beautiful fun day and her father is just, his name's Amico, which is a really beautiful name, you know, it means friend, and his brother, and they have Kianina cows, they have pigs, they have rabbits, they have their own vineyard, they grow, they do the vernaccia, the white wine, which can only be grown in San Gimignano. They have this, like all the food that you eat there comes from their property pretty much. Well, from their, their property, you can see San Gimignano on the hill. It is just stunning. And then where else did I go with my sister? We went to Panzano to see Dario Cicchini. We had lunch there. Yeah, we did something else, but now I can't remember. But it was basically driving around around Tuscany. So, And I had my boys with me as well. So it was kind of fun having her help me, help me with them a bit. <laughs> I think because you are such a savvy traveler of your own country there that I'm, I've, I've put together some notes at the end of the cast and then people can read and if they're, you know, next time they're in Italy, they can come and do some traveling in those beautiful places. Because I think oh, that's one of the things that people, especially Americans, when they, when they go to Italy, or at least my retreat guests, they're kind of always looking for places that are not in the tour book or, you know, where can I go that's really unique and different that is where Italians would actually go. And the beauty of Tuscany, or I can say, I think Italy, you can just go, oh, what's that town? Let's go and have a look at that. And you'll find this beautiful, normally there's like the historical centre part of it. You'll probably find an incredible place to eat. And that's what I like. I mean, I've done that before, just kind of gone, oh, what's down this road? And kind of explored and found the most beautiful scenery and, you know, places to eat. And another town that a lot of people don't know about is a town called Bagno Vignoni, which is basically the main piazza is a big thermal bath spring. You can't swim in there, but the town is known for all the thermal springs around. So it's that I remember, you know, the first time I went there, just, you know, having my mouth open going, oh, my gosh, it's just so beautiful. That's in the Val d'Orcia, which is obviously incredible on its own. So I think that there are a lot of places that aren't the key Florence, Siena, you know, places that people go to that are equally as beautiful and, and special. It's so fun to just listen to you talk. Really? It's true. It's, you just, I love the way you talk. My, my Aussie accent. <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. It's funny because when I, um, I mean, when I talk to to you or to people that come on my tour or whatever, it's like talking, it is how I talk to my family and friends when I'm sharing stuff about here because I think I have been so fascinated and so um, just brings me joy when I, you know, basically learnt about things here or, or just have such an admiration for the history and for, and I guess obviously, yeah, I love, I love my life here. So, yeah, for me it's just just talking naturally and sharing, you know, hoping that I share with you or I kind of, you know, you take, you kind of, consents or what am I trying to say kind of you know feel the same way I do about something or it gives you kind of like the the hunger to say wow I really want to go to that place or I need to eat that food 
Yeah, it's just your genuine quality of um, compassion and it, it, it inspires people to want to explore you. life a little bit more. So I'd like to ask you kind of, this is kind of like our final question mm -hmm. <laughs> of our show today. What lessons in compassion have you learned just really for yourself in the last six months? What, how has, how has the last six months changed? Um, I've probably learned to not be so, when it comes to myself, not to be so judgmental on myself and what I get done in a day as opposed to what I think I should get done. Yeah, I really, it's, and it's probably been more than six months coming, that whole kind of, you know, change. Like I already just, I think, um, changing jobs evolving over the last last year as well spending kind of I'm, I'm really aware I think of my boys as they get older and I've probably become more aware of this whole pandemic situation of how they're going to be affected by it so how much how we share information with them how I teach them to be more respectful and considerate of others, um, you know, trying to explain to them about without, you know, frightening them, but how serious something is about, you know, people who who are dying. Like the other week, there was a huge storm here last week, just to go off the track a bit, and a tree fell in the campground and killed two children in a tent. It was horrific. It was just one of those freak accidents. And I was talking about it. And Matteo, who turns nine next week, he's my really sensitive one, he overheard and he burst into tears and was just crying hysterically. Like you would have thought, you'd think that almost like he knew these children. He just, you know, with Thomas, my six-year-old, hears it and he's kind of like, you know, oh, well, you know, not, not oh, well, but, you know, he just doesn't. When Matteo, and, and to the point where I kind of think, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, share a lot of stuff with him now because he does does take it so personally so my, my whole thing with them is kind of thing too is I think oh it's unfair you know that they have to wear these masks you know they're going to have this memory and this whole kind of thing but then someone did say to me the other day they'll be fine kids you know adapt and it is kind of a bit of a novelty I guess for them and they are they do probably have accepted it, the whole mask wearing thing much better than any of us adults I have to say yeah but yeah, I think I, it's really made me um, kind of question or, or be more aware of how I parent, especially after having them home for six months. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Not being at school <laughs> and having to keep my calm when, you know, there were days where we all needed a bit of space. So I have so much respect for you and all the parents Right now, I just cannot even imagine what it would be like to have this intensity of togetherness all the time when you're you're breaking out of your routines and rituals. That it's a bit like Groundhog Day. You cook, you set the table for lunch, you pick the dishes up after two hours, you cook, you know, and be like, I don't know why I'm removing the glass. You know, we'll just keep it here. You know, we're going to be back here in two hours eating and all the rest of it. So it's like, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so it was, you know. But I, we're, we're counting the days down because they go back to school on the 14th of September. So we're um, 
I bumped into one of the mums this morning and I said, should we meet here after we've taken the kids and have a drink? Just <laughs> each of us will have a bottle of Prosecco. <laughs> There'll be some celebrating going on that day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for them because also I think too that, I mean, it is really important for them to get back into that school routine, to be around their friends. Um, I just think, you know, also Matteo saying, you know, he was in tears the first couple of weeks saying, I miss school, I miss my friends. And, you know, but also they were really, he was really good too at adapting to this whole online learning and we, he'd log on by himself and, you know, so his IT skills became much, much improved. But... Yeah, just, just not the same as being in a classroom. Wondering, is there any sort of rumblings about when the borders are going to open back up again? Mm, no. I did hear one country was allowed in now. and I've forgotten what I read that yesterday. But no, nothing. And I think, too, also that Italy, like I said, are holding their breath at the moment because everyone's coming back from their vacation. So Italy's, the next two months are going to be really critical for Italy. So it would probably be premature for them to say now that people could come into Italy when all the Italians are just coming back from holidays and we're so dependent on schools going back and businesses, you know, a lot of businesses obviously have reopened. But, yeah, I, I guess uh, a return return to normal as quick as possible. So Whatever, whatever our, our new normal, normal. is today is. I want to thank you so very much for really allowing us to have that hopeful dreaminess about a beautiful place, which is Italy and Florence. And it's inspirational for people to hear about what's happening there, what can be there again. And I love how you shared some of those insider tips and really just reminded people why we love Italy so much, why we want to return and what is at the heart of Italy, which is really, it's love and compassion. And I have to tell you, I got really quite excited the first time I saw a tour group walking around. So I was like, oh, they're back. <laughs> so I cannot wait for you to come back and I to give so you a big hug in person. Mask or not, we're gonna hug. We're gonna sure. hug, I don't care. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with me today. It was my pleasure. It was so lovely to speak to you. And like I said, I can't wait to see you in person. Ditto. Ciao, Bella. Ciao, ciao. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening in. And I just want to let you know that Lisa did reference a lot of really interesting things that you might want to follow up on including the beach towns and the Tuscan towns that she highly recommends. And these are good insider tips for when we do finally get back to Italy someday. So they'll be in the show notes, the specific locations and links and all that, including the chef, the well-known butcher and chef that was featured on Chef's Table. Also Lisa's information, contact information. There'll be a link to her magazine, which is absolutely gorgeous. She's also a watercolor artist, so you can check that out. She does watercolor commissions. So all of the information about Lisa and ways that you can follow her, learn more about her, or stay in touch with her are in the show notes. Okay, thanks again for being here. See you next time.